Hello and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. In this episode 37, we're covering chapters 12 and 13 from Part 2 Phoenix of Book 2 Adulthood Rites of Octavia Butler's Xenogenesis Trilogy. My name is Richard Acton and I am joined in Phoenix by my co-host. Michael Glinka, hi everyone. Yes, still Phoenix. Uh, still yes. not, what's the name of the third part? Come on, Richard. Oh, uh, uh, um, just go ahead, talk. There we go. Um, you need to learn to be like, you know, when I say like Richard, just yeah, say yeah, that I'm, word immediately. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not quick enough off the draw with that, am I? <laughs> but actually, later on in this, uh, when we talk, uh, when we introduce the chapters, there's uh, the name of uh, new characters that I try to pronounce, learn to pronounce, and still is failing. So that's gonna be fun. Yeah, there's a couple of Ankali names to yep. to try and get our tongues around. <laughs> mm. So, uh, shall we uh, start out with your predictions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, my chapter 12 prediction was based on what Akin told Tate. Maybe something will start steering in the village um, in terms of, like, um, maybe Tate telling Gabe about the fact that all the... Specifically um, telling that the villages of um, the Onkali... Well, the trade villages are basically ships that basic that will absorb most of the biomass of the earth when they mature. Mm-hmm. So to prevent that, uh, maybe they will try to do something. But I was I wasn't sure. Maybe maybe not yet. Maybe she will not say anything yet. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't seem like she's um, spread word of that around. In, in, in no, not uh, yet. Any detail yet? Yeah. We are halfway through the part of this book. Um, the part two, so maybe too early for that, maybe. Perhaps. Perhaps. As a perhaps, as a, a a prediction for for later in time, a slow burner. Um, yeah. So should we should we uh, jump right into the summary then? Sure. So the chapter twelve summary. Um, the chapter starts with Akin thinking um, that no one came for him, maybe because he wasn't wanted, or maybe because his parents were too busy with his sibling's birth. Hmm. Which is an interesting little, uh, like, I mean, he's, you know, thinking maybe he's not wanted, but that does, that, that, that's, it seems like a very, um, childish type mindset for him to have, right? He's still, yeah. it, it's still showing us he has the, you know, the kind of the, the insecurities of a, of a young child, despite his, uh, uh intelligence, because, uh, I'm pretty sure his, his parents are looking for him. I'm 100% sure that they're looking for him, but, you know, it's just mm. when more and more time passes, you know, you, your hope starts to dwindle down and you're like, oh, maybe they will never, maybe they don't want me or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, poor kid. Because the reason why he thinks is because that, like, you know, even though, so, you know, his parents may be a bit too busy with his sibling's birth, but that never stopped anyone from coming, uh, um, like, but it shouldn't stop them for coming for him because his parents would go for the stolen children of other people when it happened um mm. so i don't know um maybe maybe there is something happening in meantime i mean like you know maybe the fact that um uh tino was maybe preoccupying nikanj and the rest and lilith or maybe mm. they're just looking through villages and they're just haven't reached um phoenix yet I don't know. Yeah, yeah, for some reason they seem to be having some some difficulty finding him. Yeah, but in Phoenix, though, he was liked. Um, although the striking contract of his height and age and then the intelligence disturbed them initially, people grew accustomed to him. Um, they would tell stories to him, the ones about pre-war 
life he liked um and this is a bit of excerpt from the book he could learn afterward what kangaroos lasers tigers acid rain and Botswana were and since he remembered every word of their stories he could easily think back and insert explanations where they should go um mm. the stories that were clearly not true stories about mythology he liked less in exchange, Akin would tell the stories of Don Kali history, past partnerships that contributed to Don Kali. Although the, all the stories were true, none of the humans believed them, but they liked them anyway. It's weird that, you know, like they don't believe the stories, even though, like, um, many times a lot of those humans in the book one were told that, like, yeah, we remember genetically, we remember all of the um, traits to date. Mm, uh Although I suppose at least um, not all of them had that degree of kind of direct exposure to that, I suppose. Um, although, you know, they, I suppose it, it depends to what degree they communicated with their um, Uloi and other partners when mm-hmm. when they were um, kind of all uh, going off in their, their little groups. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in, in Lilith's case, we only kind of really learned much of that from, from her more extended interaction with them. True, um, that's true. But uh, it's uh, interesting that the, the way that his memory works is also quite fun, right? They, uh, you know, you can just store all those things and then attach meaning to them later. <laughs> it's, uh, comment, you know, have the data and comment on annotated later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it'd be nice to be able to do that. It's probably not very space efficient in terms of storage, but... <laughs> I mean, you know, if you can remember everything, then... Yeah. Um, Maybe his brain is, you know, the way his brain is uh, modified, it doesn't um, bother him in any way. Like, he can recall everything. Although, Mm -hmm. I imagine at some point, like, you know, like, if you live several centuries and you think, try to think about something, I don't know, I just... The information storage capacity is going to be finite eventually, right? But, uh, although I suppose if, if, uh, if you have some capacity to use, like, a you know, a genetic recording mechanism for your for your memories, uh, uh, then you've got a lot of. Um, I mean, yeah, but like, I'm a just lot think- of potential capacity. I'm just thinking, like, how how weird it would be, like, to, to just try to recall something that happened like hundred years ago, and yet you mm. can remember it like it was yesterday. I just feel like your perception of time would really be skewed, don't you think? Like, you're just like, you remember like it was yesterday, but obviously it's not because you know the time has passed. I mean- I don't know that. It, I mean, the the way that we you know remember stuff now is still a, it's a similar kind of thing, right? It's just the slightly less clarity about the past because you know, the stuff fades a little bit, but we still have the sense of continuity over time, uh, which is kind of what you know what makes navigating that space in 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 memory like ordered, right? You know, the the fact that it happened in. But I, mean, I, I can see what you mean, in, uh, but I don't, I don't. I think you would adapt to it, right? I think it would be a I thing. I mean, that, yeah, uh, I guess so. It's just I think the reason yeah. why I'm saying is that every time, like when I talk to friends um, from my childhood or something, and like and mm. like reminisces about like we reminisce about something, and it's just like, oh, it's not ten years ago; it's like twenty years ago. <laughs> it's just like, oh, <laughs> mm. the time has passed so much faster than I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
And I wonder also, maybe they have some kind of tiered memory as well, right? Because the keeping all of that memory organized in uh, in the way that we store memories, however little we actually understand how that works, yeah. is, is not going to be as space efficient as being able to store it on a DNA strand or something like that. So perhaps there's uh, uh, perhaps they have some system for... It's like having a tape archive, right? Yeah, yeah. You've got to read off the old stuff to, to you know, get access to the older data, so... Maybe they have some, uh, you know, some caching mechanisms and, and stuff like that. To, mm. They need to know the really old stuff. They have to go and think about what they, you know, some some index to look up. You know, I need to know about you know this thing that happened this many generations ago. And oh takes a minute before you can look at it. Yeah, that'll be a really interesting internal experience. Mm. But you also commented here something about um, Akin's ways of telling the story. Hmm. Ah, yeah, because we, we get this. Um, you know, he's, he's very dismissive of the mythological stories, mm-hmm. the, you know, the stuff that's not actually like a historical narrative for, from the humans. Um, and yeah, I was just thinking, he needs to uh, uh, develop a little bit of an understanding of, of you know metaphor and, and social commentary, yeah. and, and the fact that the you know the 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 stories that a culture tells are you know a product of that culture and reflect on what it's you know the the culture that produced them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can be you know, as revealing, and in some cases more so than than true histories, yeah. uh, because you know they, they reflect the, the the mindset of the the people that were producing them. Absolutely, so I, I think it's a, uh, uh, a he, he's uh, making an error to dismiss the mythological stuff um, as, as sort of uh, flippantly hmm. uh, as he is. True. True, true. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense uh, because you know he has this very sort of uh, uh, logical mindset, and the Owen Carly really have a, a kind of different relationship to you know, because of their genetic memory and stuff. They have a different relationship to to like, storing like mem- yeah. Because I mean, in a way, in it's yeah. it's like myths and stories is also is a good way, like before any storage media writing or any so mm-hmm. also like helped to pass some wisdom. Or experiences of previous generations um, mm. for younger generations, because you know, if you put in the story, you can, you know, kids will find it entertaining. But with time, you realize the deeper meaning behind it, and you sort of learn something out of it. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a way of, of, of abstracting and compressing lessons learned from from previous experience yeah. into a, a you know a, a, a package that uh, can be you know, transmitted and, and delivered. So in in a, in a in the human culture where we don't have this like perfect genetic memory to to uh, pass on artifacts of our culture, mm-hmm. we have this alternate mechanism which is yeah. alien to the Oankali. Uh, so they they're perhaps not appreciating the function that it's serving. Absolutely. And actually, um, or like a bit of um, uh, off note, um, in the manga Dr. Stone, I recommended mm-hmm. it to you before. Uh, in one of the villages, um, there is um, they have 100 stories. And the, those stories mm-hmm. that were told generation by generation. And those actual stories were like a message to one of the main characters. And it, it was it basically it was a very smart way to pass necessary information to the main character of the of the protagonist of the manga to okay. to for because he would knew what, what the actual message is, but those people would like, you know, learn things like a sort of knowledge of um modern society in a way. So hmm. um I think it's the fact that Akin dismisses those um, 
the stories, I think he he still has yet to learn um, what it means for for humans. I think because for yeah, as you said, for Ankali it, it might not be easy because of the memory, but like for humans, it's easier to memorize certain things and learn certain things. Mm-hmm. That's an, an an adaptive feature of our cognition. But uh, yeah, the the Ankali have a different adaptation. So it, it, yeah, the they've yet to like figure it out and especially uh, you know Akin who's who's young and has not had that much a young whippersnapper either of these systems yeah and he has this very you know uh, like clear and logical uh, mind so mm. the the uh, sort of nuance of that uh, uh, abstraction is is a bit lost on him to start with absolutely mm. but yeah um back to the chapter um sometimes people uh, would stop the work just to listen to him. Some people would give him things like Pilar Leal, who made short pants for him. He Akin accepted them, but didn't like them because it cut off his perception. So basically, the little boy is a pervert running around without pants on, preferring running <laughs> without pants on, and were harder than skin to clear, uh, to clean when dirty. He never tried to ask anyone to clean them. It never occurred to him. But when Tate saw him trying to wash them, she would give him soap and show how to use it. <laughs> yeah, there was a little bit in this section where like Tate kind of smiled at him uh, when he was washing his trousers. And I wasn't sure if it was just like, she, is she happy he's doing his own laundry? Or is that it? <laughs> yeah, more it's, to that it, it was sort of like a, <laughs> a, a sort of a weird paragraph because it, it, it mm. showed like, oh, you know, the boy doesn't ask for anything in a way. Um, mm. It's self-sufficient. And, you know, if needed, he can wash. But at the same time, it feels like it's not like childlike right it's usually mm. it would be like oh no you know like kid wouldn't even notice they're dirty until like you know parents be like oh my god you f- little filth come here we need to change you because literally you have mud everywhere even the places mm-hmm. i didn't even know that existed and then you know but to hear he is you know washing his own stuff so i think it is like a connotation of both like oh he's a kid and yet he's managing to do it himself. But at the same time, he's a kid. It would be nice if we, maybe he would um, ask sometimes for help or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm in, in, interested to uh, yeah, kind of re- revisit the, the dynamic that, that Tate uh, and, and uh, Akeen have in this the relationship here. It's uh, We're still getting the, the um, initial bit of it, but I, I had, um, I'd kind of forgotten this aspect of that. Uh, to be honest, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen later because obviously at some point um, Lilith will find Akin. And I'm just mm. curious what relation, what attitude will Tate have towards Lilith and then what Gabe uh, will do once he finds out that Akin is Lilith's son, right? Mm. So it's something that... Um, Something to look forward, I guess. Yeah, yeah. There's some uh, uh, some uh, you know dramatic setup. Yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> been done there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but this is the interesting part of the book, and I think this is really what I found interesting on on like the, the actual what do people do in the Phoenix. So hmm. Akin would go and observe people making things like such such as like clothes, shoes, or paper. Um, Tate would persuade Gabe to take Akin to the craftsmen and place, places that they were producing something. So Gabe would take him to the mills and show him how the grain, grain was ground. 
or places where furniture and tools were made. And, you know, some places where they would go and arrive and see like a couple, a man and woman making a canoe or something. Um, Gabe would take him, for example, to places like a mill um, to show, you know, what they do there. And, um, mm-hmm. but would say that food powered spinning wheels, sewing machines, looms are enough. Like they could make a mill, but you know, human-powered um, machines were enough because they were making enough mm-hmm. of the things they needed as is. It sort of allowed people to do things in their own pace with their own design. But at the same time, Akina thought about it and understood that, like, it was just to keep people busy and not to think about their inevitable demise, if you if you can call it that. Yeah, it's, it, they seem to have reached kind of the... Like the the economies of scale they're getting are, are like maxing out, right? They they don't need more production yep. than than they can do with this this hand stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it's you know they've got quite a long way with it um, technically. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem like they're. I think it talks about the way that they work, right? They're just sort of you know they they work when they when they want to. Yeah, they produce they sort of what what they they can yeah. to to do trade, but they're not. Um, you know they're not uh... forced to do in any form right mm-hmm. like the you know if you want to do this you do it but if you want to take a break and you know do something else you know it's nothing stops you it's a pre-industrial society right yeah They've not got um you know the the they talk about you know they could make a textile mill but you know they don't need a textile mill and a textile mill would be more like a yeah you know a, a factory operation basically yeah uh, you would need to have people yeah. observing all the time and maintaining and stuff like that but they don't need it mm. because they need to keep the people busy not thinking about stuff and yeah akin then asked gave about metal you know so he took mm. him to the blacksmith and as they were walking gabe asked how much akin understood I usually understand, Akin admitted, but what I don't understand, I remember. Eventually, I understand. It made Gabe surprised and wonder how Akin will be like when he grows up, to which Akin tells him that he'll be strong but not very big. Smart, though, Gabe says. It will be terrible to be small and foolish. Gabe laughed. It happens, he said, but probably not to you. Akin (laughs) was pleased that he made Gabe laugh. It seems that the man was starting to accept him and Tate was pushing a lot for them to spend time together. Akin thought about what would happen if his family came to collect him. Would Gabe fight to death? And I was like, yes, I hope he tries. Like, for, for all the things he did, I hope that Gabe gets... Well, I, I'll finish that. <laughs> eh, well, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it is interesting to see the, um, their exchange here. And uh, Gabe seems to be kind of warming up a little bit uh, here and there. But... Yeah, still. Um, but still, it's not. Um, it's, he Akin still, still bit, doesn't know yeah. the history because if he did, mm. I mean, you know, mm. I would poison Agape straight away. Yeah, we're, we're all, you know, it's another bit of, of setup for the you know the, the building of dramatic tension. Yes, you know, yes. What, what happens when the Yamakawi come back to to get Akin? Mm. Yeah. So when mm. they reached the blacksmith, Akin saw all matter of things being made. Machete blades, scythes, sickles, axes, hammers, nails, etc. You know, everything they needed. All made of the salvaged materials they collected from the salvage sites in the mountains. A king asked Gabe when will they take him there to the i.e. to the salvage sites, to which Gabe told him when things get warm around here. And Akin understood that it means that if his family came for him. He mm. told him mm. that they found all sort of materials at the salvage sites. And they found a lot of money, to which then Gabe reached out to his pockets to show a gold coin with the letter T and words, he is risen, we shall rise, and a picture of Phoenix. Phoenix money, mm. Gabe I th- said. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the uh, 
the T is a, a, a cross. Oh, is it a cross? Um, but yeah, I think it's. I think Akeen is just perceiving that as like he sees it as a T. He's not quite uh, au fait with Christian iconography. Oh, okay, yet, okay. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah. that could actually potentially could explain quite a lot of things. Hmm. But yeah, this is a yeah. bit of excerpt from the book. Uh, Phoenix money, Gabe said. That's Phoenix rising from its own ashes. A phoenix was a mythical bird. You understand? A lie, Akin said thoughtlessly. <laughs> Immediately, Akin just completely crushed his um, beliefs and dreams. Yeah, yeah. So, so like I said earlier, he's not quite uh, uh, picked up on the, the way that mythology functions in human culture. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Akin realizing what he said uh, immediately apologized explained that the things uh, he thinks of all the myths that are as lie in his mind and didn't mean to say it out loud Gabe looked at, her, looked at him and told him that he just called everyone's dream here a lie and you know chapter ends with Akin apologizing again and Gabe picking him up uh, and saying that maybe he should be relieved because in some ways Akin is still a kid that's where the chapter ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I've got some. Uh, I had another note here about this, uh, all the stuff about the mythology and the mix of some different traditions here mm-hmm. and you know, bits of you know, mythological imagery. So you've got the the Christian component, you know, the, the he is risen stuff and, and the cross, and then the the phoenix, you know, uh, uh, symbolizing the like the rebirth and, and risen stuff. It's a bit of a bit of a mix, right? The, those are not necessarily things that would, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit pagan. Right. Yes, <laughs> adding in some adding in some stuff from from other uh, uh, other traditions, but uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, technically, Christianity has a lot of pagan events and you know a lot of oh, pa- yeah. bits from pagan beliefs in it, and you know anybody who says otherwise hasn't been paying attention to a lot of things. Mm. So it's, I mean, it was a lot, it's a lot about the Reformation, right? I mean, the, with the, the the Catholics were a lot more pagan in some regards, with all of the uh, the saints and so on. Yeah. And then the you know the the reformers came in and said, "This is this is too too uh, uh, too many idols, right? It's it's not uh, ad- adhering to the, the the core of the Christian message and so on." So, it, but it would make sense that you would have a little bit of. Um, I mean, it, I think the the it sounds from various things we've had, and the fact there's a lot of Spanish um, uh, Spanish speaking people. A lot of this is somewhat Catholic in origin, so it's a bit of a mix of Catholicism, which is already a less sort of hostile to the uh, you know the the the, the saints mm-hmm. as idols kind of uh, structure than than the more puritanical um, branches of Christianity. No, absolutely, so absolutely. Um, um, but at the same time, like you don't get things like phoenixes in Catholic mythology, right? No, Christian mythology no, in general. A, yeah. So it's it is a mix of a lot of I would say mm-hmm. symbolism. I mean, it, the, like early Christianity was defining itself in quite you know oppositionally to classical. Um, pagan religion in the uh, the way it was practiced in in rome and, and greece right mm-hmm. so a lot of the stuff that might be in the more classical style of 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 mythological components was was excised even from the the, the catholics but the, you know they had their own kind of mirror of it right yep. it was a it's different but the same <laughs> uh, uh, where and then the you know the the reformation kind of got all uh, uh stricter about that stuff but uh, yeah, so but, yeah, I think that it's it, in it a way it's the same general pattern. Yeah, in mm. a way for them, it's sort of to to keep to 
to preserve their hope to um, uh, keep going. Because we know that uh, from the beginning of the... Is it from the beginning of the book? When we're told about... Yeah, it was when Tino came in. Like, you know, some people were like... Yeah, they were living there. And then suddenly they just started to disappear or commit suicide and stuff like that because you know the, what was the point of going on it seems the village is sti- still sort of those that are there are still going forward but i don't know it just feels to me that what tino said because i in my eyes in my mind mm. i like i was expecting phoenix to sort of slowly declining you know what i mean mm. the book this this part of the book hasn't mentioned anything about the number of people um, at all, right? Because we only know that Tino initially, like, the f- village was supposed to be big, but then eventually mm. people started to giving up, right? But it still feels like this village is going strong. I, I don't know, I just have this perception, weird perception here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think it might just, um, I mean, part of it may have been just um, Tino kind of maturing, right? He's yeah. uh, The village may have had a little bit of un- unrest, a little bit of, you know, internal... Uh, schisms it seems like it's still growing but you know but he, he may have come to a personal realization at kind of the the futility of the the project here yeah um yeah but anyway, mm. um shall we go to my chapter 13 predictions yes let's move on um so i hmm i was a bit stuck here because thinking about that we are still halfway through the chapter through the part and as we you know, Octavia Battle likes to have time skips and sometimes the pace slows down quite a lot and sometimes it picks up. And so I wasn't really sure where the hell will we go from here, right? Um, <clears throat> so I thought maybe, maybe, because uh, it was too early for any Onkali to visit. Although maybe there was some passing Onkali uh, going through. That was my idea that maybe some more people will come to the village. More, mm-hmm. more traders, which is more likely than Onkali, and um, and I thought maybe something in there, in that, um, in just like passing by of the time, because you know we've learned about the village, of the town, we've learned about what Keen is doing there. So I, I was expecting you know, there's gonna be some time skip or something, um, okay. and I thought that maybe something will start changing in the village, the the, the motions, some motions that you know I mentioned earlier about the. Um, what Tate knew about this village. There's some things put in the motions, but you know the time passes by. So I thought maybe there's some some new people coming into the village, um, or at least something in the village. People being sent to tell this information, like that maybe those those are ships, and maybe we should do something about it. That was sort of in my mind, right? But also I thought maybe there would be some trade and maybe they were hiding, or Onkali would come over and they hide Akin away or something those lines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we do get uh, traders showing up in the village. A couple more traders. Yep. We don't really see them, but uh, we we see what they bring. Yes, we we get what <laughs> we see what they bring. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I guess let's go to chapter thirteen uh, straight away. Mm-hmm. So the chapter starts with the traders, some traders arriving in the village with two more stolen children, both young girls. The traders took away not a woman, but as many metal tools and as much gold as they could carry plus books that were more valuable than gold and here i have mm-hmm. an excerpt from the from the book two couples in phoenix worked together with occasional help from the others to make paper and ink and print the books most likely to be desired by other villages bibles using the memories of every village they could reach phoenix researchers had put together the most complete bible available 
There were also how-to books, medical books, memories of pre-war earth, listings of edible plants, animals, fish, and insects, and their dangers and, and advantages, and propaganda against the Onkali. I like the last bit. <laughs> yeah, of course, there's propaganda against the Onkali. <laughs> It'd be really funny if, uh, like, sense. if they made like just one book, half of it is like Bible, then there's medical, this, this, and then and at the end is like, uh, or in the mix of everything, there's always like a propaganda against mm. Onkali mixed. And it's interesting that they're they're kind of trying to reconstruct the the Bible from you know people's accounts uh, and so on, right? They're they're putting together a complete as most a complete as a Bible as they can, but not really from they don't have the you know the canonical Bible, which is interesting, especially given what we we're talking about earlier with kind of like pagan elements yeah. being incorporated. Um, but yeah, this the whole uh, the Bible thing. There's this um there's this movie that it made me think of for some reason mm -hmm. the. Piecing together the Bible from from bits made me think of um, uh, it's called the Book of Eli. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever seen. No, this. I haven't. I haven't. Tell me a bit. Uh, uh, it's kind of it's like it's a uh, it's a, I can't really it's a strange movie. Um, okay. It's kind of like an action thing. It's it's not. Uh, uh, there's there's like a twist at the end. Okay. But, uh, it doesn't really. Um, I can't talk about it that much without revealing okay, okay, okay. what it is. But the the point it, it's a guy delivering a, a book. Um, right effectively okay okay but, uh, i'll have to check it out yeah it, it's a fun watch it's not it's not terribly intellectual but it's uh it's fun okay 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 um <laughs> it's just i don't know it feels a bit weird for me right because the first thing in any um if you have the availability the possibility to write mm -hmm. down knowledge right the first thing mm. you should be doing is the survival, sort of tips of survival, any knowledge that you accumulated in the new hostile environment, any mom, any knowledge that you had from the previous world, any not like to to be able to like you know medical, scientific, you know engineering, anything that you can remember to to write it down to ensure that it doesn't get lost. And the fact that they're doing I mean, a Bible, that's I think I. I can see why that's the case from an, a sort of evolutionary perspective, though, because so you know, what's the like if you consider the ancestral environment, like what's the most valuable knowledge that you have? It's the the oldest stuff. It's the stuff that stood the test of time yeah. longest. It's the stuff that's most important to the kind of the tradition of the society, right? So in in theory, the the sacred texts in in an older condition should represent the most important thing that you write down. Right, because that they should be the kind of the, the the aspects of your your culture that have um, you know uh, endured longest and been most important to the the success of that culture to some degree. Well, so I mean, like now the the problem, of course, is that that doesn't always work out because of the like this you know pace of change means that new information can be more important than some of that traditional information, but but. Uh, you know, you, you don't necessarily know that a priori, right? Because that new stuff hasn't um, hasn't endured the same test of longevity that the stuff that is in your um, yeah, but you know, you know like standing tests. I mean, you know, yes, maybe, but like in the same time, it just feels to me like I would rather have a book that tells me how to bloody survive in the world. Then a book oh, yeah, tells yeah. me not, about I'm my not, spiritual uh, spirituality because, like, it's. It... <laughs> I'm I'm not saying it's necessarily the best strategy. I'm I'm just saying that uh, I uh, I mean it, this kind of a um you know the 
religion or the religious memeplexes have kind of a semi-symbiotic semi-parasitic relationship with with human culture right and sure. part part of the things that function to uh keep them working is you know an, an imperative to prioritize them right that, that keeps them alive keeps them uh replicating um but uh you know, that, that isn't necessarily always going to be to the benefit of, of the uh, the host as it were but uh, it, it might be sometimes uh, because you know keeping the the old knowledge alive was uh, useful right but of course all of this stuff this all of that pattern evolved in essentially an almost prehist not quite prehistoric but like an, an older era right mm-hmm. and, and most of this is less applicable to sort of modern religious text than it would have been to like the the central stories from um uh your your tribal culture or tribal tradition right so and you know we 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 often forget the, the like the trajectory of human history and development, right? We, we you know it's one of those big sharp curves at the end, right? We have this really long period where for like you know 150 200,000 years basically not much happened, right? Yeah, I mean yes, <laughs> so, yes. And, and the environments we were in changed, but like they they shifted a lot more slowly. Um, no, I'm you're and, right. And yeah. then in you know the last few thousand. The pace of change has really picked up, right? So the adaptiveness of, of this kind of attitude to to um, retaining the stories of the the, the culture mm-hmm. um, has has gone down because there's a mismatch between the the environment that we now live in, or at least the pace of the change of the environment that we now live in, and and this tradition. But adaptively, in the period where stuff was relatively static Mm -hmm. it was much more useful to preserve that stuff and also the the content of that stuff would likely have been more useful and more relevant because the stuff that would have been in the sacred texts for uh you know a a smaller like hunter gatherer type group um or or the 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 sacred stories right the things that you preserve as cultural artifacts even if it's not it might be an oral tradition Mm -hmm. right but if if that's going to be important for your survival in the environment so I think the there's this one of the these kind of classic evolutionary mismatch scenarios where people are preserving this thing which might not be as important and relevant as it seems like it is because you know when the human mind evolved it would have been important and relevant to preserve it. I mean uh, I understand what you're saying. I get it. Hmm. Um and I understand that because of the recent few, you know, 200 years let's say that the um, the acceleration of the knowledge has, you know, creation of the knowledge has, you know, has seriously accelerated, and you know, and we had the several thousands of years of, let's say, steady sort of but very flatlined development, and you know, stories. Not every everyday life for every you know, normal person was not necessary to know all those things. Um, but in the in the concept of where you have a basically post-apocalyptic environment, your priority is preservation of the um, knowledge because yeah, yeah. not culture because culture at this point it's survival that's the priority. I mean, it's the bottom of the it's at the bottom of the um, the pyramid of the like the. Um, uh, what Maslow's hierarchy yes, of needs? Yes, yes, yes. Hierarchy of needs, yeah, yeah. where you know survival is the you know the most important and the prior the, mm. the basic needs. Um. So and the spiritualism and you know is at the very very top, which is basically when it's when you have satisfied all, all the other steps. 
that's where you you can start thinking about it but not at this point i don't know it just feels to me a bit child childish and also ill-timed in a way but then again mm-hmm. you're right because don kali are sort of we are here to preserve the, not your culture in the same time we are eradicating culture because we cannot even allow you to 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 have children without our presence right with you know mm. they, they completely assimilated the humans without even preserving the culture as is i think they we, we we learned in the first book they've preserved the cultural artifacts right so they have books they have um, yeah but they're not the giving them not to humans, them the humans though yeah yeah so it's like oh um, yeah we are preserving the culture but not uh, like it's more like a British Museum style thing. We're gonna take it away from you, <laughs> but um, but you know, you're, it's, you're not never gonna get it back. <laughs> mm. But I think this is also this is another one of those illustrations of, of the human contradiction here, right? Because we, we do see them. It's not just the Bible, mm-hmm. right? It's the the stuff that's um, relevant to survival. You know, the compendiums of edible plants yeah. and, and and animals and so on. So you've got this. Um, you know that they're aware of the need to pass on the the, the cute survival yeah. stuff, but that's that's you know um, the the prefrontal cortex doing the thinking, right? Uh, that's the the higher level function. But the slightly more ingrained behavior is preserve the traditional texts because that's the that's the thing that's worked before. I guess so. Uh, but I'm yeah. still not convinced. I don't know. No I'm intention. just I'm, maybe I'm just stubborn old man um about this stuff but i feel like um in a way well, I, I mostly agree with you i'm just no, 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 uh, i understand, I, I understand. Of, uh, understanding uh trying to figure out why as it yes, were yes right? yes yes no i absolutely <laughs> agree with you that you no know, um with this cultural culture um and tradition um preservation is always was to taking priority in a lot of societies and and historically that made sense yeah right? yeah but i think <laughs> If I was in their position, my, my priority would be, yes, creating the technology, recreating the technology and trying to preserve as much knowledge I ha- can remember, although my memory is like a Swiss cheese, but trying to remember everything <laughs> and write it down as fast as possible so that it doesn't get lost. And at least maybe at some yeah, point, it's, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that this is a, a Christian tradition trying to... to um, you know, piece together the bible from from people's memories of it it's the the um like biblical memorization traditions yeah. is no longer really much of a, a thing in christianity much more so still in in uh, islam and judaism where you know there are people who dedicate themselves to, to, memorize to memorizing them. the yeah. scriptures yeah but uh, yeah it's interesting <laughs> so the, yeah the christians have uh, lost that a little bit <laughs> harder to reassemble the bible I mean, considering that how many branches of Christianity are there, and especially Catholicism and Protestantism, I feel like the, mm. you'd be hard to uh, to collect the, the 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 Bible back again if you had to listen. Like, let's say, several people have all different had different parts of different versions of it. Mm-hmm. All the different translations yes. as well. It's a, it's a whole other. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the other aspect. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point. Like, can like all those they're writing it down, but like, uh, what I wonder what languages they're writing it down. You know what mm, I mean? Because I mean, Phoenix obviously speaking English, right? That's the prior, the, the prior, like the main language. But we know that is it or is it Spanish? No, I think it's English. Oh no, yeah, it is English, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, because Tate and yeah. But yeah. every uh, there's uh, any other village they have all their own personal languages. You know, Swahili, German. Russian, mm. whatever, and like I just mm. imagine like the, the total cluster of 
mess of um mm. of of like trying to communicate as well as you know share books and knowledge mm -hmm. yeah that's another interesting little uh component of this right the, the owen collie were kind of um they had well it's an interesting one because it feels like it, it might be part of their sort of seemingly somewhat half-hearted attempt to preserve aspects of human culture but it also serves to divide the, the humans as well the human yeah. groups right because if they're in their own little language enclaves um, with less, uh, you know, more friction for for the transmission of for, you know, culture and exchange between the groups. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. anyway, I think let's go back to the chapter because we still have <laughs> quite to go through here. Yeah, yeah. So we finished off on talking about like the books, and then Tate tells Akin that since they can't have children, they make all this stuff, and those guys who just traded are now officially rich. Rich for all the good it will do for them. Akin asks if he could see the girls, so Tate takes him to the Wilton house where Macy and Colina Wilton lived and took the children. When they arrived, they saw the girls eating and Colina preparing more food. When she saw Akin, she told him that the girls can't speak English, so maybe he could talk to them. The girls were brown with long, thick black hair and dark eyes. One had tentacles around her neck and shoulders. The other one had tentacles around her throat, um, protecting the breathing orifice. Um, those girls were on Kali born, and that meant that they were female only by courtesy. They wouldn't know their mm. sex until metamorphosis, basically. So, yeah, we're, we're dropping in another little um, tidbit here yeah. about that, because I think we'd been a little unclear on that before, but it seems that the the humans are more clear about what their sex is going to yeah. be, or the human born, yeah. Whereas the Owen Kali, it's, uh, it's undecided until metamorphosis. Yep. Akin spoke to them that they will have to go to their gardens and forests to get more proteins because the humans in the village never seem to give enough um, when they feed them. The girls climbed down from the chairs to touch and taste him. They were siblings, human and Onkali born. The smaller one was an Onkali born and more androgynous uh, looking. It would probably uh, become male in response to its siblings' apparent femaleness. That's interesting because, like, um, mm. there weren't supposed to be any males. Am I not getting it wrong? Or was it human-born um, males? It was. It's yeah, human-born males, and um, I think also human-born uloi. Yeah, I think, I think that those those moment. those two variations are still not too. Hmm. Or even more broadly, construct uloi. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I think it's yeah. They're they're starting with uh, starting with the females. Yeah, and now which... they did. Uh, then Akin was created, and I guess at hmm. some point an uloi will be. Um, made. Well, let's see. But the name of the younger one was uh, Schacht. Karl Schacht. Yeah, Schacht. Uh, Eka yeah. Oh my god. <sighs> uh, oh dear. Yeah, I don't know if I can pronounce that one. Um, Karl Stadt Eka Jaitach Sokhaltag Toja Ajdinso. Well done. Okay, let, we'll stick with this version. Uh, I can't reproduce that the same no, way. No, I don't again. think so. It's <laughs> such a long word to to break it down. Um, hmm. But we know it was uh, a, it was a relative through Nikanj, whose people were also Kal. Akin gives Kacht the hmm. human version of his name. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a long one. Actually, the um, I just thought of something with the um, mm -hmm. the fact that the the children uh, never seem to get enough uh, nutrients. Mm -hmm from what the humans are feeding them, uh, presumably because the humans have, you know, a human expectation of, of what they, their caloric requirements. Yes. But um, it occurs to me that all of these extra biological capabilities that they have are actually probably Energy. quite energetically yes. demanding. Yeah. Yeah. 
because you know the, the all of these extra perceptual abilities and um, you know the the some of their cognitions pretty high powered. So it seems like the uh, you know they would actually just need a lot more nutrients yes. to run all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, which is um, it, it also you know, that illustrates the fact to a significant degree that their biology is impacted by their culture mm-hmm. because you couldn't have something as energetically sort of inefficient as that evolve naturally very easily yeah. right because you know evolution is incredibly conservative with how you use your energy resources um, and it, it's like the the uh, in in environments where there's unpredictable conditions you know like maximizing the way that you use your energy resources to, to reproduce fast to get to sexual maturity and reproduce mm-hmm. um, without having to you know without spending your resources only bells and whistles uh, to increase your capability right you expend it only on what you need yes. to to get to to reproductive age and and reproduce yeah. it in those conditions like in more complex environments with different strategies for for reproduction like us you can afford to expend energy on you know complex systems but even then right you're when you're in competition anywhere where you can cut energetic corners to to improve the expenditure of resources on something that contributes to the competition is going to get cut right Um, so in order to maintain a level of biological capacity that is above that which would be evolutionary competitive you have to be engaged in genetic engineering yep. um, yeah absolutely uh, which uh, yeah uh, it's a thing that i think uh, you wouldn't necessarily think about um when you're considering the implications of doing genetic engineering on on you know humans and mm-hmm. so on in the future is that when you have those extend, like if you give people extended capabilities, extra abilities in one regard or another, like that's not competitive. Well, basically, to all those uh, who are thinking of making um, super soldiers from Warhammer Forty Thousand, if you want to give them an extra lung, two hearts, and just in general a muscle volume of a of a bull, you'll probably have to fill them a whole bull every day just to preserve that energetically. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and in the long run, um, unless those characteristics were distinctly contributing directly to their their like better chances of reproducing, then they would go away. Yeah. Right, they, they wouldn't be selected for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. But yeah, both children knew already he was human-born and expected to become a male. They studied him thoroughly as they were communicating more and more humans appearing in the house. Here's an excerpt from the book. Not like the kids at all, one of the humans was saying. They're all over each other like a bunch of dogs. Who was speaking? Akin made himself focus on the room again, on the humans. Three more had come into the room. The speaker was Nikai? Nessie? How do I pronounce this? Um, I, th- yeah, I think Nik- Nikai? Nikai. I'm not sure exactly. Okay. Ne- oh, hang on. Ne- ne- uh, Neki, Neki, I think, maybe. Okay. Neki, a woman Neki. who had always seen yeah. him as a valuable property, but who had never liked him. Oh, I feel that's going to be another villain in the book. I already can tell this is going to be a problematic person. Hmm. Tate tells uh, Neki that if that's the worst thing they do, then everyone will be fine. She then uh, then asks Akin what their names are, to which Akin tells her Shkacht and uh, Amma, with the former being the younger one. Gabe asks what kind of name is Shkacht, to which Akin tells him it's an Onkali name. He would not let them know that Shkacht was an Onkali born and would not let Shkacht tell them. It's safer they do not know and not trade her, trade her to the raiders again. Tate then asks what languages do they speak, and we're told French and Twi. 
um, their father was French, but in her mother's country, mostly people spoke English, but in the village that she came from, they only spoke Twi, and she was from Ghana. Um, Gabe then asked from which mm. village they were, and after clarification, he told them that he, they were uh, they were from Kal Osei. The chapter ends with Gabe telling Akin to teach them English. Akin tells him that they are siblings and they need to stay together. Do they? We'll see. Akin didn't like that. He would mm. warn Ama and Shkak to get sick if they separated because crying wouldn't affect the humans. Yeah, I mean that's the, another interesting little tidbit there. Right? They can volitionally become ill if they want to or at least give the appearance of, of being maybe Ill. i uh, guess I, I would say probably mm. i don't know I, I feel like it's more of like um the fact that they know like what things can get be like bad for them but they can you know break them apart like break them down faster than humans right you could probably eat something that would probably be quite dangerous to a human but for them they would make it basically be sick but after a day oh, or two, okay. they'll be That's fine. You know what I mean? Because yep. um, we are yep. told that uh, Onkali can um, survive more poisonous or things than humans would. Mm-hmm. The chapter basically here ends with only when there was a threat of losing one of them, they would stop doing whatever they were doing. Um, they had no, they had now what they had probably never had before. Children they thought might eventually be fertile together. From what he had about resistors, he had no doubt about some of them really believed they could soon breed new, human-trained, human-looking children. Oof. <laughs> Akin then yeah. asks siblings if they're still hungry and takes them where the best things grow, and the chapter ends. I honestly, that last part, they still think that if they take the constant children and they can have human looking ch- kids. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> that's the. Yeah, it's really not going to work, right? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that they think that it might, because uh, it's like you're, you're really going out on a limb here. Plus, it, it doesn't seem. You know, if they want human children, then, like, it's. It, I, I, you can't start with the contract children. It's not going to work. Yeah. Right? It's, it's so contradictory. It's uh, I know, fascinating that they... Um, I suppose the, the human-raised bit, they, they, they can sort of get at. But, but yeah, it really does. It. As we mentioned, like you mm-hmm. talked about earlier, like, the, the younger they get them, the, the better probably to, to make them against Don Kali. But I feel like because of the genetic memory... Mm-hmm. Those kids will never yeah. follow follow that ideology, so it's it's a lost cause yeah, from that's the beginning. It's a losing battle. Hmm. Actually, I mean the the genetic memory is kind of an interesting one because we don't really see that much of it in in Akeem, right? I mean, it, apparently he knows stories from old um, from the previous trades trades, but I mean, are those stories that he's been told or are those no? They were told. They were told by memory? his parents. It said in the book, particularly. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. So he doesn't seem to have like a you know a full on access to the the, the genetic memory history yet. of the yeah. uh, Owenkali at least yeah yeah maybe it's just something that you get as you mature maybe it's something that they're deliberately withholding from mm-hmm. the constructs um, it, it's uh, yeah an, an interesting thing um, the the degree to which that I mean it would be a bit of a um, uh, from a from a sort of character development and plot standpoint if you have that particular um, MacGuffin in there then it becomes a bit of a, a challenge to write around yeah because if he has access to immediately to all of the wisdom of the ancients and it's just like an adult there's no real yeah it's a tricky thing to to work with absolutely Mm. should i go to the chapter 14 prediction Uh, sure so i'm not sure what they're gonna do next because i mean we had introduction of the village 
have new two kids. I feel like they are going to do some... I have this strange feeling about this new character. We've been introduced to this new three characters. The two ladies, uh, um, what were their name? Colleen and Macy Wilton, um, which just seem mm-hmm. to be like, oh, we're going to keep the kids. But there's this the new character, the Nikai, who seems mm-hmm. to be who seems to be a bit weird, I would say. I feel like the next chapters or so, next chapter is going to be the three about the three kids together learning about each other and the life of the or in the Phoenix. Um but I feel like this 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 character of Nikai is going to be more and more involved. And maybe okay. not in a nice way, I feel. Interesting. Yeah. Because it, it, it does seem like um, the humans might be tempted to try and keep the, the kids apart. Yes. Um, not just the siblings, but even Akeen from, from the other two. Because when, when they... Uh, you know, when they were talking to one another using their um, internal communication, kind of Owen Kali senses, yeah. You know, they this, you know, they were all over each other like a bunch of dogs, right? It seems like the they will try to keep uh, them away from, like, to, then, to, to stop them from doing that. Yeah, they don't understand their mode of communication, and it's unsettling to them. So they might well try and keep them apart and, and not able to do that. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. No, it just feels to me like that. There's there's something brewing in the air. And um, I'm not certain what 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 can happen. Maybe definitely not yet. But I feel like this this attitude of like Nikai, and I'm sure there's more people like that who like people who see see them as valuable property, but never like really like those kids, right? It's it's. Hmm. I don't know. I just have this strange feeling. Like with Gabe, I feel like this this lady is going to be a bit. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose you know, we, we've expressed our, our doubts about the plausibility of this whole, um, you know, raising some humans from the construct children scenario. So, you know, there may well be people who who think like yeah. that, right? Who who regard the um, like the project of trying to have humans from the construct children as as, as not I've, serious. No, you, you mentioned like, that, a, but who might want to exploit the others who do? Yes. Right? Um, I just have the strange yeah. feeling because you, you also me- you mentioned that, and I just ha- a thought occurred to me that um, mm-hmm. what if there's a group of humans that basically said, you know what, we can't, we are, they accepted the fact that they can't have children, so they're gonna go completely ballistic, like you know what, we're gonna mm-hmm. just fuck them up all completely, and like for example, you know, um, try to kidnap the kids or kill them even. In fact, that just completely um, leave them somewhere that they can't survive on their own, or just completely, you know, like bullet in the head. That's it. You know, if we can't can ha- can't have kids, you will not have kids as well. That type of thinking. Okay, so sort of um, an anti-Orange yeah, like, extremist faction who have a kind of nihilistic, yeah. um, like we we can't win, but we're going to take as many of them. Basically, with this yes, kind of a, completely okay. ballistic type mm-hmm. of perception that like if we can't have it nobody can and that's it off we go with that mm-hmm. so n- now that you mentioned it i just had this thought and i thought like mm, that's quite actually probable that it may happen yeah it seems like a faction that might yeah. exist <laughs> especially if the part yeah. of the southerners as they call them who have guns mm-hmm. but anyway i think that's fodder for future yes, predictions. that's for the future predictions see what the chapters bring us so i guess that's it 
thank you very much everyone for listening um, we are Xenothesis you can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com I was Michael Glinka I was Richard Acton goodbye bye, bye.